It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each and every week we talk about sports topics, hopefully of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We occasionally have a gambling segment on this program, in which I almost hit a home run in last week's gambling segment and then fell short, and I actually bet what I was going to do, and I will tell you that in a second. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, uh, I, I did almost pay off. I, I did make my bet on Brooks Kepka at 40 to 1 to win the Masters, and there I am trying to root him home. And and, and uh, it was disappointing, but at the same time, I was also there, so it was not even disappointing whatsoever. I mean, it looked good going into the final day. When, when he was 12 under and Roland had a four stroke lead, I, I'm thinking. Skinny's got this in the bag and he's going to watch it in person. And then uh, Brooksy fell apart there in that final round a bit. But let's start there because I want to hear about your trip. You went to the Masters this year. You talked about it on last week's show. You golfed your way down there with a good friend. And then you guys were there on Sunday to see John Rahm win his first green jacket, second career major. He beat out Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson by four strokes, as we were talking about. And uh, Kepka had entered the final round with a two-shot lead. So set us up for it, Skinny. You were there on Sunday. Where did you guys end up watching from? What was the day like? What did you see? So we stayed in Columbia, South Carolina. We, we were going to golf on Saturday in Columbia. And um, I got back to the hotel at a reasonable time. My friend did not. He imbibed a little longer than I did. And so his alarm goes off at 8 o'clock. And he's a trooper. He, he kind of like laid there for a second. I heard him grunt. I had already looked outside. I already knew the answer I was going to give him. And he said, what's it doing? And I go, it's pouring. He goes, well, you want to still try to play? I said, call the course first and let's see what they're saying. And I'm like, man, I'm dead. I know he's dead. And so the, the course said, he, he answered. My buddy goes, uh, we got a tee time at 1020. And the guy just goes, You're, we're not open the course today, friend. And he goes, oh, okay. And <laughs> so I'll give him this. He hung up and he goes, you want to look at like, Myrtle Beach. I go, we're not driving to Myrtle Beach today, dude. You can't even pry your eyes open. And the next thing I know, I hear him snoring. So I like, okay, we're good. <laughs> so that was a little disappointing on Saturday. So we watched, um, kind of hung around the hotel and then had a fairly, uh, fairly early evening for us at least. And anyway, got up at 530 in Columbia, drove to Augusta, got there in the parking lot at like 715, walked in uh, this, what's called the South Gate. There's a North Gate and a South Gate. So we're far away from the clubhouse, but they have two golf shops. And it was recommended to us. It was the right thing to do to do all your shopping as soon as you get in because it becomes a madhouse as the day goes along. Right. So we did all our shopping um, and then they store your stuff for you. You can keep it if you want, but you can also store it and get it at the end of the day. So we did that. So it was like about 840 and that third round started at 830. And so where we were, it gives you three, four. I swear the funny part was I said, this looks like an amusement park. Like we're just now in like Rivertown and we're going to go to Adventureland in a minute. That's exactly what it looked like. So they had little signs, one that said to holes five and six. The other one said to holes five, 15 and 16. And the other one said to amen corner. I said, dude, we're here. I know it's probably the first, that, you know, we want to do it. I said, let's just go to amen corner. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's a good call. I said, we're here. It's not, this wasn't like our first destination. Actually. So you walk down this little path and all of a sudden you come out into where the, the trees, trees are. And then all of a sudden it just, it's literally right. I, the first thing I saw was, was 12 green. And I just stood for a second and I, I didn't do this rehearsed. I didn't do anything other than I stood there and I went, I just said, oh, dear Lord. And he, he said the same things like, my God, it's it's unbelievable. I said, it is. This is like breathtaking for me. 
So then we walked out. I'm thinking it's going to be a little crowded. And I thought, well, maybe not. It's it's the end of the third round. And it's early. Maybe, you know, the crowd's not here. By golly, it was crowded, but not awful. We literally walked right down to a pine tree, about maybe 15 paces, 10 paces off of 12's tee box. Had a great view of 12. Had a view of guys coming down 11, hitting into 11. We couldn't see tee shots on 13 um, because they're, they they moved the tee, obviously, back. But we could see guys walking down the fairway. And so um, we just stood there in awe for a little bit and and probably stood for an hour. But then the rest of the day, we we literally walked all over the place. We saw six. We saw at least a shot, a tee shot, a fairway shot and or a putt on 16 of the 18 holes. We probably saw 30 different golfers uh, all told, maybe more than maybe more than that. The only holes we didn't see, which is funny. I saw the hole, but I didn't see anybody hit a shot. on It was we didn't see a shot on one. And we didn't see a shot on six. And those are the only two. So I, I feel good about that. We posted up late in the round in the grandstand of 11 and 12 just to take a load off. But it was perfect because we watched the last five groups come through there and then kind of went back down to 15 and 16 to catch them again. Um, I, I it's It was incredible. I, I, I it, it is way more than what I thought it was going to be. And, and I thought it was going to be great. So this is this is a stupid question. I've never been to a real golf event like this. Is it easy to know what's going on in the moment while you're watching? Like, did, yes. is, the, is there scores everywhere? Because you're not allowed yes. to have your phone at the Masters. That's right? correct. And it's, it's a great question. They they do such a great job of having giants. Well, so here's the one. Here's the great part about this. And I was told this, but you, you don't know it until you're there, right? If you position yourself properly each and every time, you can see about three and maybe even four different holes at once. You know, you can't see all of what's going on, but you can maybe see a tee box on one hole, um, a fairway on another hole, a green on another hole, a couple of places you can see two greens at once. And they have giant scoreboards situated where you can see everything. And then they have a little side scoreboard for the twosome that's playing that hole that tells you um, what their score is at that time. And so it, the other thing that that helps is if you like walk up to a green, and you're wondering what group's coming up. You can see it shows, you know, the, the twosome that's coming up. You know, oh, and we did that because we we're staying on 15's tee box and guys were coming up 14 and it was the it was the final round day and you know, they split the, we, we got lucky that they also did split tees too. We had guys going off one and 10. So we got a chance to see a bunch of different people. So we're sitting on 15's tee box um, for a second. And my buddy goes, Oh, DJ's coming up. And I, I look at, Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's watch DJ hit a tee shot. I mean, that, that'd be pretty cool to watch him bomb one out there. And uh, as he sauntered up, as he sauntered up, he, he, it was a, it was a long, slow walk. And my buddy said, boy, he doesn't look like he wants to be there. And he actually heard him and he turned to him. And he goes, not right now. I don't No kidding. <laughs> and he kept on sauntering up to the tee box. And then those, he, he was with uh, Charles Schwartz and we watched them hit. And I said, all right, let's go to, he goes, Oh, I said, I said, he, he turned around and said, Oh, hang on. Your boy's coming. He's a big Fred couples fan. I said, Freddie's coming. He goes, oh, yeah, we got to stay for Freddie. I said, absolutely. So we watched Fred Couples hit, and then we went away. But that was the cool part. You could, you know, you walk up, you can just see, all right, do I want to watch this group? Do I want to watch somebody else? Um, you know, like I said, when we sat down at 11 and 12, I really didn't know where the round was when I kind of looked up at the scoreboard. And I said, hey, we're like five groups from the end. Let's watch these five groups come through 11 and 12, and then we'll go somewhere else. And so we sat there, had a, had a couple beers, and – Watched uh, watch those groups come through, and that was that was really really cool to see. So it was it was it was awesome, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's right. Because you know I'm I had two different family events for Easter Sunday, sort of bouncing around. I I'm watching it intermittently throughout the day, 
And it was kind of exciting that way because, you, you know, you go in with Kepka leading and then he falls apart and you see the, the leaderboard changing throughout the day as you're kind of checking back in on it. But I was wondering, I was like, if you're there, I mean, it ended up being kind of anticlimactic the way it finished. It wasn't it didn't come down to like a playoff or right, anything like right. that. It wasn't really that close at the end when Rom won. But I'm like, if you're there throughout the day, I'm wondering, you know, it might have been kind of exciting seeing the the leaderboard change and seeing how that's working. Uh, but I was just I was well, like, do you even know in the moment exactly how it's playing out? Well, and that's the funny part is um, there's obviously reverence for guys hitting shots. So you're not. You're, but but dude, the funny part is there's so much noise on the course. Um, there, there was a I can't remember, Jason Day, maybe in the, in his tee shot um, right as he took the club back at probably the top of his swing. And the, and the, the, the greens and tee boxes are so close. People roared for a putt that went in on the hole he played previously right as he hit, you could see his frustration, but I think you could also see that he understood it wasn't like some random jackass going follow buoy or something like, that. I mean, they yeah. understand it, but it, the roar is just, it's, inc- that, that was the other part, the roar you could hear from different parts of the course at times. And when you'd hear the roar, you'd look up at the scoreboard going, somebody just did something. Then you go up. Oh, yep. He made an Eagle. There it is right there. there. There's the roar. That's where it came from. And so as you're watching Kepka's score get worse and every time like a score would be posted, you know, if it didn't change, nobody did. But all of a sudden, you'd see him bogey, and you'd hear this, ooh, it was a loud one. So then we had some older lady behind me. She goes, what just happened? I didn't see anybody make I said, no, no, Kepka just bogeyed. And she goes, what did you say? I said, the scoreboard. She goes, oh, yeah, oh, okay. That's why everybody's going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. See, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I would have been like, I was been the old lady in the crowd going, like, why is everyone hollering right now? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, the DJ thing is funny, too, because he was getting crushed on social media for being a disgrace to the masters and not caring and all of that. So the fact that he replied to your yep. buddy is uh, is pretty good stuff. One other thing you mentioned, the the merch that you're getting, they always talk about the prices of yeah. the pimento sandwiches and great. how cheap everything is. What's the merch tent like? Is that normal prices? Is mm-hmm. that like really expensive stuff? Mm-hmm. Or Let me just say this. I bought for members of my family and a couple of people that asked. Um, I'm not going to go into exactly what it was, but it reached four figures. I will tell you that. Okay. So it's, it's, it's pretty expensive stuff. Yeah. So, and some of it wasn't like, I got a master's, uh, like director's chair, uh, or folding chair for lack of a better term. You probably saw those yeah. people. Yeah. That was only 35 bucks. So that wasn't awful. How, um, how much was your quarters up? 150. Those were expensive. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got two of those and got two more for other people. So those, you know, start to tally that stuff up for goodness sakes. I mean, like a hat wasn't awful. Uh, shirts were expensive, but not awful. The, the zips were and, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I got like three or four Tervis cups for people. And those weren't, I didn't think awful, like 18 bucks a pop. One of them was like 25. I, the, the one thing was if, if you can get generic master stuff, but you can also get dated master stuff like masters 2023 on it. That stuff was a little more expensive. I really wasn't paying much attention to it. Um, I was just throwing stuff in my bag that people would ask for that I wanted to get for myself. Um, like I got two zips, a shirt and a hat for myself. Um, but yeah, it, it adds up. It adds up pretty quick. I will tell you that. One other thing to get to on the masters, which was my favorite part, you had this crazy story. I guess it was the opening day that or Friday where the tree yes. falls and takes the people out. It's a, a big deal. Have you ever seen? dumber takes by sports journalists than the next 12 to 24 hours after that tree incident where there were honest to God, I think it was Kevin Van Valkenburg or something. It was like the golf writer's name. He said 
that the masters should be testing the trees. I don't know how you would do that. Of course. Of course. Yeah, sure. That's the point. What what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. What are people like people are so anxious to find places at fault today for like not being safe enough or putting people at risk or what have you. It's like, what are you talking about? It's terrible, it's scary, all of that. So but, it, it, it's funny, it, it's not funny. It's interesting you say that. So we were um as I mentioned, we went to Amen Corner first and stayed there for a bit. Then then I said, let's go to, to the back of 16. And we can see 17's T box. We can see the guys a little bit on 15's green, and we can watch those shots on 16. He's like, "Yeah, great, great." So we're standing there, kind of almost towards 17's T box, where you could, where we got a good vantage point. And my buddy did turn. He goes, "You know, this is where the trees came down on Friday." I looked. I went, "Oh gosh, you're right." And I'm telling you, Rick, that T box is not very wide, and with people standing on the other side, I, I, I will be honest. I cannot believe no one was injured in that. I, I or, or even killed. I mean, just seeing how many people would have been in that area at that time. Um, I did ask a marshal and he said, you could hear the cracking. That was the good thing that, you know, that, that alerted people, something was happening. So everybody kind of understood and scattered, but I, I, I did. I, I, I told, I totally forgot about that until he said, you know, this is where the trees fell yesterday. I went, Oh yeah. And I, and I thought, wow. And I'm looking at both sides of this tee box. I'm like, gosh, how did nobody get hurt? That, that was, that was stunning to me that no one really got hurt. I just love the visual of like the employees dressed nicely from Augusta running out and hanging off the limbs of the tree and shaking it, <laughs> knocking on them, kicking on me like, yep, they're good to go. We'll, we'll play yep. on. Yeah, I, I told this to a friend of mine who'd been before. The one thing I will say was it was not as buttoned up as I thought it was going to be like. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I we talked to marshals in the fairway, you know, they're you know standing there by the ropes. Um uh, there's a lot of conversations that go on, um, you know, obviously in, in a little bit of hushed tones, you're not screaming at the top of your lungs. Uh, there was more noise than I thought. I, and there's a lot of movement. I, I just, I kept thinking, I don't want to screw up. I don't want to, I'm like, this is pretty laid back. This is way more laid back than I thought it was. And I, again, the good part, I think that's really good. I hate the getting the whole guy and the Baba Booey guy and you get none of that. That was, that was good too. That is nice. I, I guess we got to remember, granted, a lot of these people do have money if they're going to something like this, yeah. but they're also still SEC football fans for the most part. So, <laughs> like, there's that. There was, a, there was, there, yeah, there, there's, there is that. There, there was a, I, I will say you could, you know, you, uh, you want to keep your cups. So when you, you know, like have a beer or whatever, and then you, you stack them, you do the kind of the, you don't want to do your beer snake cup, but you kind of snake them together. You start looking around at the guy who's stumbling a little bit, and you're like, oh, man, he's got 12 cups. That's probably not a good thing at this point. Not idea. Well, that's what happens when they only cost $5 a pop. That's a fact. An event like that. All right. Well, glad you had a good trip. Let's Thank move you. on, yes. get to Sorry. some Reds baseball. Talk to I was very self-indul- self-indulgent of me, and I feel bad now. Well, hey, I started. I, want- I wanted to ask about the trip because that is like right. truly a once-in-a-lifetime type deal for most people. So. Uh, the Reds are now four and seven after two weeks of action, but skinny, they are one in five in one run games, which is more one run losses than any other team in the majors so far. The bullpen is two and five with um, over five ERA, has racked up three blown saves already. So let's start with this. Did the Reds front office screw up by not investing more in the bullpen this year? I'm going to say no, and that's a, that's going to be an answer. People are going to go, that's an idiotic answer. The answer is no, because you're, you're not built to win this year. And it sucks. I feel bad for some of the starters. I do feel bad for David Bell, who I don't think can manage, but I I mean, for him, it's literally when that bullpen door comes open, he has no idea. It it is literally the box of chocolates. What am I going to get out of the guy that's walking out of the pen? You know, I watched, uh, it was weird. We actually got Bally sports, Ohio, for some reason in our, in our hotel in Columbia. 
Nice. So, so late Saturday afternoon, um, as my buddy's napping and, and trying to trying to trying to revive himself, I watched the Nick Lodolo performance, and he obviously was great. And you know, you even get Alexis Diaz that day who comes in and he blows him away for an inning. I, I agreed. I'm like, boy, David, leave him in there, let him go one more. He was so dominant. He did, and then he got blown up and lost the game in the in the in the next inning. So he, you know, you don't even know what you're getting out of a guy like that all the time who's I think really, really good. So no, I, I don't think they did because they're not built to win right now. Agree or disagree? No, I totally agree with that, but it's a, an argument that is coming up more and more now sure. as the Reds continue to play close games. And I think it seems like the, uh, the argument I think that some people are trying to make by saying this is that this team is better than people expected because no, they're in these no. close games. I'm not buying that. I don't no, think I'm they not. are better. I mean, I look at their lineup and that bottom half of the lineup is a disaster. It's terrible. And no, they've got you... holes all over the place. I mean, like I'm with you. If you're wasting money on your bullpen in a year like this, where you're trying to rebuild and you're, you're trying to get your resources aligned for the future, that would be a incredible mismanagement of your money to spend it all on bullpen guys right now. Now, does it make it fun in the first few weeks of the season where people are trying to be optimistic and say, well, if everything goes perfect and all these guys have career years that we've never expected to happen, then yeah, the Reds might be competitive this year. Yeah, it sucks for that part of the season. But like in reality, after the first month, we were always going to be in a spot where the Reds were out of contention and the season didn't really matter at that point, And you were looking towards the future. So while I feel bad for the optimists who talk themselves into the Reds being competitive on opening day because that's a fun thing to do and it's a party around here and it's hard to be pessimistic for an entire baseball season that extends this long. This is the reality of the situation. They made the right call by not investing in the bullpen. I'm sorry, yeah. but they did. I, I think if you're if you're a Reds fan, I think for this year, get excited for every start that Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, yes. Graham Ashcraft make and follow that intently. Uh, cross your fingers that 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 Jonathan India becomes a core player, that Tyler Stevenson stays healthy because I believe he already is a core player, and I think Jonathan India probably is too. Um, that, that a guy like Spencer Steer, hey, it's been fun uh, to watch. Become, becomes a core player. Um, yep. Jake Fairley's not going to be. I mean, I know he's raked against right-handers, and that's all well and good, and maybe he proves to be a. I don't want to be a core, maybe a core platoon guy. I mean, please, please. Jim, Jim Day now calls him Rake Fraley. So please. Oh, for the love of Mary. Uh, so I have not gotten a chance to watch much of the last three games, the, oh. the, the, the Brave series, because I was broadcasting some games and doing PA for some games. I've listened to it on the radio coming back home. Um, so I don't even I haven't even looked at box scores. To be honest with you, have they done the Viking thing again? Are they, are they still doing the Viking thing? Well, they haven't been hitting a lot of home runs. Uh, yeah, there's that too. I, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I knew <laughs> so, that. Part. So yeah. I have not caught the Viking thing recently uh, yeah. due to a lack of home runs, I believe. But yeah, I think that's probably right. So yeah. I, I just want to see if that continues with, with with you know they're back home. We're doing this on Thursday morning. They're back home tonight against the the Phillies. So I, I'm waiting for like you said when they when they get to the point where their losses are twice as much as their wins. You know when yes. they're like five and twelve. Next week, are we doing the Viking ship? So, so being the, the 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 realist jackass that I've always been, that people hate a lot of times because they don't like realism. I, I did ask my friend on Monday as we were driving back. We actually drove from Augusta to Knoxville and stayed in Knoxville late Sunday night, and we got up and drove home Monday morning. And just making conversation, I said, "You know, the Reds are four and four. I said, "Is this the last time this season they'll be at five hundred?" And he looked at me and he goes. It's a good point, probably. And I, I think now after the, the sweep by the Braves, I think that's almost it feels like it's almost definitive, right? I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, the, the, they're not getting back to 500 this year, I wouldn't think. I mean, yeah. well, I, I shouldn't say no doubt because you can get hot in baseball. They're only three games under 500 right now. They could reel yeah. four or five wins in a row off and get back there within the next week or two. But aside from that happening, I mean, once we get out of this month, 
I don't think there's any chance for him to be honest. I mean, this, this team is pretty much everything we expected it to be, but they have been, their offense has been a little bit better than expected. I think so far they they've been like average offensively terrible from, from a bullpen perspective, obviously, but their offense is about middle of the pack in the majors right now. If you look at most statistics, I think so. I think that's the part where they've overachieved maybe a little bit because you've had a, a few guys come up with timely hits and put the ball in play pretty well. But the bottom of the lineup is an absolute disaster. I mean, it's yeah, embarrassing I mean, to watch. That, the whole Will Benson train didn't last very long, did it? <laughs> I mean, what what are we – to be honest, like I hate to say this, but watching Will Benson step into a batter's box, you know he's not good right away. Like if you no, saw right. that guy in college, you'd be like, oh, this is screwed in a little bit. <laughs> A little bit. I mean, like you just tell that guy with that batting stance, the way he moves, it's like, I believe he's an athlete, but like it, he clearly is not a hitter. He clearly is not no. going to be a major league hitter. No, 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 he's no, he's not. Uh, but, but Joey Votto will come back soon and help. Every, no, maybe not. Uh, that's right. Well, I mean, they, they are going to get some arms back, which will help because like Luis Sessa has been a disaster in the starting rotation and he, he never really should have been there. Probably. No, he, he honestly, he should be, he should be the guy that, that uh, is your super. I always call, I think this guy's important these days. I call him the super arm out of the bullpen that can, you know, one day maybe close you a game out and another day, give you four and two thirds innings of relief because you needed it. Well, that's, and that's the big part with this team, especially with those last two rotation spots being as sketchy as they are you're going to need that long relief guy more often than you probably like this year. Well, you know, what's funny. I, I think it's actually less often because I truly believe in Lodolo and Ashcraft going deeper into games. I don't know if I can believe Hunter Green, although he gave you six last night and that's, that's great. I mean, you know, I'm, he was I'm, worried, about, at times. I'm worried about those last two spots. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you, right. you, you, you don't even know who are going to fill those for the rest of the year for right. the most part. And that could be, you know, who knows how many times you're going to have to have a game where it's like, Oh, uh, we might just have the bullpen throw this one today. Yeah, I mean, they're coming up on that type of situation right now. No, you're right. Where it's like yeah. who's going to pitch? You know. So, I, I mean, I, I like you said, the, the top three pitchers in the rotation have been fun enough to watch. And, and Hunter Green's performance this this is on Thursday, so we watched him last night on Wednesday night. That was pretty good. I mean, really he struggled good. a little bit early, but he he found himself late, got in a rhythm, pitches, and yeah, got in a rhythm and and got his way out of it and and got them gave them a chance to win the game. They obviously didn't, but. I mean, Listen, I know he gave up the three runs early, but I mean, he held him to three runs. You give me six innings and three runs. I know it equates to a four or five ERA, but that today's baseball, six innings, three runs. You should win a lot of those games. Yeah, you can live with that. And double digit strikeouts as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the stuff is incredible. It's always been the thing for him that a lot of people seem to talk about is developing that third pitch, being able to use that change up consistently. He's hardly used it at all to start the year. I I'm to the point where I kind of disagree that he should be working on his changeup and developing that. I mean, I'd, I'd love for him to have it. I think it's something in the offseason he should definitely put a lot of time into. But right now, to me, the slider is his pitch. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I always think, in it because I think it's hard, the, the, the fastball changeup guy is impossible to hit. I mean, if that guy commands both those pitches, that guy's impossible to hit. But there's not, there's very few of those guys around. Um, and I'm kind of with you. I think he, I think he, th he throws his slider for strikes. Um, and, and I think that that sh he should be a, you're right, a fastball slider guy. And, and that's about it. In my opinion, I think he can get away with it with, with the fastball. And, and he mostly is, but my point is people always see that, that he's trying to be basically a two pitch pitcher and say, Oh, he's got to throw the change up more. He's got to throw the change up more to be effective. And that would be nice. It would be helpful if he could do that. But I think he's shown that he struggles 
to mix that in. And he loses the feel for his other pitches, too. To me, it's like get that slider to be as optimal as possible and to be a, a, have as great a feel for that pitch as you possibly can, because that's when he's at his best. When he finds his rhythm and he pitches his way out of tough situations, it's because he's got an 88 to 90 mile an hour slider coming at you. That's just just different enough from that 100 mile an hour fastball that it's like it's impossible, impossible. to hit that slider when he's located. Yep. No question. Impossible. If he's got command of it. Skinny, anything else to get to on the Reds here? The only thing is, and, and I did touch on Votto for a minute. I know it's a rehab assignment. He's got until I believe, I think he can stay down there until the 19th because you get 20 days. I think if I do my math right, maybe the 18th. Um, and then they're going to have to make a decision on him. But at what point, he's five for 33. He actually got a hit last night to get off the four for 32 train, which is nice. Um, but he struck out 20 times. I get it's a rehab assignment. I, I understand all of those things. Um, but at what point does he decide I'm washed? Well, I always wonder with his rehab assignments, is this like one of those weird things where he's just watching every pitch to get his eyes trained? Like he maybe. does weird and I, stuff. And that's a maybe. And that's a maybe. I'll give you that. But you know, I could see him going down 0-2 in basically every at bat because he just wants to see where the pitches are hitting the mitt. That's like he does weird stuff like that. Uh, I'm so about I'm his vision. You. And I, I'm not disagreeing with you that he might be washed, but I, He's just so different that I don't really think about his rehab assignments at all in terms of the thing that scares me is and I did the math on this and I did include his rehab stints last year, obviously his red season last year, the rehab stint this year. And this was before he got a hit last night. So this actually may may have crept him across this line. But in the last two seasons at at different stops, Louisville, Dayton, Cincy, all those things, about one ninety nine. And it, it's one thing if that's 199 in a small vacuum, 299 in a larger vacuum at an advanced age. And that's what worries me. Understandably so. I mean, look, there is no guarantee that he's going to come back and really be able to give them anything. Right. Uh, and, and here's the thing. It probably doesn't really matter if he can or not. It probably doesn't. But I mean, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to want to go out there and embarrass himself either. Right? No, I don't think he'll be that. But that's why it feels more and more likely that this is probably his last ride. Well, I do, but I do wonder, so what decision do they make in whatever it is, six days or so? Well, Vossler has fallen off the face of the earth, so I think it makes it pretty easy to put him back in at first base, right? I guess, but, but does he consider himself ready at that point, too? Oh, and that's that's a question he'll have to answer. I mean, right. I don't know that, right. that, that the Reds will have any say in that, but if he's ready, I think he'll be the starting first baseman again. And, oh, and I, it's, yeah, I, no, it's a I situation where what do you have to lose? No, I think that, that there's no question. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that part's not an issue. I'm just wondering, is he ready? Well, there's a good chance he's not. And and he may decide he needs longer. You know, he's he's pretty honest about those things typically. So yeah, we will see. It's coming up, though, and they'll have to make a decision here shortly. So, yep. all right, let's move on to college basketball. We got some transfer portal news. Xavier landed another commitment this week. We talked about Logan Dunkelm coming over the big man from Indiana, former Moeller player last week. This week, they landed a Western Kentucky transfer point guard. Davion McKnight is coming to Xavier. He averaged 16 and a half points on over 45% shooting and 34% shooting from three point range last year, although not on a lot of attempts, just 19 of 56 from beyond the arc. So he's not a prolific three point shooter. He's more of a driver score from the mid range type of player. Also had five rebounds, four assists, and over three turnovers a game. So the turnovers are a bit high there. Skinny, what did you make of Xavier's newest addition, Davion McKnight? I like him as a complimentary piece. Um, 
I, I don't expect him to come in and do what Sule Boom did by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I like Davion. I, I, I coached against him in high school and liked him as a high school player and thought Western was a great fit for him. Um, his career got off to a little bit of a slow start. I think he only averaged, you know, five or six points his first year, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's like what 16 and change the last couple of years or thereabouts. You know, he's a pretty good rebounder for his size. He averaged yeah. over five rebounds a game the last couple of years. And obviously all time leading first, rebounder at Collins high school. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. Um, and again, for his size, he, he really does. He's a good rebounder. Um, you know, he, he, Shares the basketball, all those things. I, I think it's a nice pickup. I don't think it's the the pickup, right? But it's a nice complimentary piece. It's an Adam Kunkelish piece. Yeah, it's funny because when you watch him and Sule Boom in terms of their highlights from Sule Boom came from UTEP, which was Conference USA. Davion McKnight coming from Western Kentucky, which is Conference USA. You have pretty comparable film to compare there, the same competition, all of that. And Sule was the better fit for what Xavier needed at the time because yes. he could shoot three and it worked out perfectly, obviously. But when you watch the two films and, and you're trying to compare the two guys like Davion McKnight's film is more impressive in a lot of ways. He's a much stronger player physically, much better defender. He can get to his spots easier as a ball handler because of his quickness and athleticism and strength. He does a lot of things physically that Sule struggled with, especially coming up to the Big East level. Now, the, the thing is, shooting is such a big deal in today's game, yep. especially with Xavier's roster situation where they needed more shooting and they need more shooting again this year. Sule was probably the better fit. And I would argue, even for this year's team, if you could have gotten a, a point guard that could really shoot like Sule, that might have been the better fit as well. But Davion McKnight is a real player. I mean, like I think I think some people are are a little bit down on him from the Xavier perspective of like because he's not a three-point shooter. He's not a, a talented offensive piece. And I, I would say like he was more efficient from inside the arc and doing all those things than Sule Boom was at Utah. So yeah, that, no, I, I think it, there's some good good comparisons there between the two. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I didn't think Sule would come in and do what he ended up doing. I don't think anybody yeah. did. For no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, his shooting was a differentiator. There's no question about that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe Davion um, – makes that a bigger part of his game. I mean, maybe it can be. I mean, the percentage isn't great, but it's not like he's 26% from there either, right? Right. It just it was more so the limited attempts, and you see a lot of teams against them going underneath screens, sagging off him, kind of daring him to shoot, and you know, he, he only took 56 of them. So, it's you know, you're, you're talking about less than two a game. Right. right. Um, it's just not a big part of his game, but it, it, not everybody has to be a three-point shooter, especially if you can – be efficient enough, shoot 34% on limited attempts, only take good ones. And you're, you know, the bigger issue for me, aside from the not being able to shoot threes is the turnovers. If he can get that turnover number down, right. then it'll be a lot more efficient overall. And, Sule, and that was one Sule thing Sule had, was Sule had some, Yeah, Sule had some games where he turned it over a bunch too, though. He did at Xavier, but before that, when oh, he yeah, was at yeah, UTEP, yeah, yes, yes, he had yeah, a much lower yeah, turnover yeah. rate. And I think overall his decision-making was part of why Xavier functioned at such an elite level last year. It's like, yeah, he ended up turning the ball over more, but even still, his decision making was really good. We'll see where Davion McKnight lands on that because if his if his turnovers go from like three point three a game at, uh, at Western Kentucky and they take another jump and all of a sudden he's at like four a game now, it's like okay, well that's so here, that's getting here, out of control. Here's my question: Is he the better fit? And it, it's a moot point because he didn't come. Or would they, and I always get his name wrong. Is it Kier Cressa or Cressa Kier, whatever the hell his or name Kirk is? Kirk Cressa, yeah, yeah, I went to Arizona. West Virginia. 
uh, would he have been a better fit? That's a good question. He obviously ended up taking the NIL money at, at West Virginia and, and was going to play for Bob Huggins, which is going to be a fascinating <laughs> no, pairing. I, hey, would, would that, for tit for tat without NIL, do you think he would have made that decision? To go I just can't see Huggs? it. I, I cannot either. see that ever happening. I can't see Huggins wanting him is the weird thing. Um, he, he, to answer your question, Kirk Reese has not played defense at all. Like he might be worse than Sule Boom defensively. Uh, and he problem. is offensively mostly just a three point. Sh- now he's a great assist guy, really great passer. Uh, but in terms of his scoring, he's mostly just a three point shooter. Doesn't have as much of the driving or getting to the basket. Doesn't score as prolifically as Davion McKnight. I would say. I probably valued Kirk Creesa more than most people because I'm always like, get me more than enough shooting. And today's yeah, no, game, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I want to yeah. have more shooters than than fewer. But I think I would probably say Kirk Creesa would have been the better fit because of that, because of three-point shooting. But it's really close. And I think Davion McKnight adds some other things that, that Kirk Creesa doesn't. And the other thing is Kirk Kreese was very polarizing in terms of his personality. There's a lot of talk about how Arizona didn't really want him back despite him leading the, the Pac-12 in assists the last two years. So I think there might be some other red flags there aside from just that, whereas Davion, you know, I don't, I don't think has any of those concerns, I think is is probably a better culture and chemistry fit for the locker room. I am fascinated to see where Ryan Nemhart winds up. That is going to be interesting. It really will. What about UC? UC landed a big man from the transfer portal and former Temple Center Jameel Reynolds. He averaged over 10 points and five rebounds a game, also averaged 1.1 blocks last year in his lone season with the Owls. Before that, he played two years at UCF. Skinny, what do you think of the new big man that the Bearcats added? I'm not sure I get it. I know you're adding some talent there and he was productive enough, but who's handling the basketball and who's going to score? I know it's early, I guess, in the process a little bit, but who's doing that for this team? Well, I think Jameel Reynolds is a good addition. He's better than the big men that they had. I don't know if he's a Big 12 caliber starting big man, but I do think he's UC's best big man now. So mm-hmm. I think it was an upgrade. I think that's an addition. There's damning, I, there's damning praise right there. Well, it, it might be. Um, I, I mean, because I, I do think he's better than Victor Locke in terms of being able to hold his position consistently, defend his position and mostly in terms of offense, he, he just dunks a lot. He can finish in the post some, but they they hit him on a lot of pick and roll stuff as a, as a role man. And he's good at that. He's got good touch around the basket. So I think you, know, you can see a role in how he works, even at the high major level, without having to feed him a bunch on the block or having him be a go-to scorer. I think that's an upgrade. But to your point, th- this is fine. You, you needed to upgrade your front court too, but they've got to find a dude. Uh, they get, they got to find – if you go to the portal, bro – I'll be honest, I'm not sure there's a lot of dudes out there at the moment. Well, the problem is the the dudes or even the guys who aren't quite dudes but are approaching that level are going elsewhere, are getting crazy NIL offers yes. and are having every high major look at them. So, I mean, this transfer portal stuff is almost even worse than the freshman recruits yes. where you see teams reaching for guys. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and now that, you know, I. Obviously, this past week was also announced that Landers Nolly is going to stay in the NBA draft. He is not going to retain his eligibility and potentially return to UC. You lost to Julius and Nolly, and you're heading to a much better conference next year. This isn't meant to be doom and gloom, but there needs to be major upgrades coming. And again, that's major. not, I think Jameel Reynolds is a, is a good addition. 
this is aside from all of that, but I do think at some point, if you're no, UC that fan, would be the you nice, start to that worry. Would be the nice complimentary part. And, and yeah. again, I, you got to have that. And so I'm not, I don't want to say it's a terrible thing. It's a, it, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's an upgrade for what you have, but you got to find some dudes, not just a dude. You need to find some dudes. Yeah. I mean, who, I who think, is the best player or the best scorer on next year's team? Jizzle James. I mean, Dan Skillings, maybe, maybe. I'm being I'm being serious about that. No, I'm not trying I'm to be funny. I mean, maybe you. it's Victor Locken, I guess, right now. So you're gonna play the two bigs together? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think Jamil Reynolds is better than him. I mean, maybe it's Jamil Reynolds, but he's not a he is not a go-to scorer type of player. That, that's the thing. This team just doesn't have they have some okay pieces. And and quite honestly, the last two years, they've kind of lacked the star power and the firepower to get over the hump. Yeah, they, they did, but but and at but, the level they were at though, David Julius and Landers Nolly were enough. They, they for the enough. most part, but yeah. even then, I mean, like, you know, it's a team that didn't make the tournament, didn't even sniff the tournament last year with those two guys. Right. Now you lost your two go to scoring options. And from what I can see, there isn't really any type of real replacement behind them right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Jamil Reynolds is a nice addition, but I'm with you in the sense that I am waiting to see, like, who is the, the go to guy that they're going to bring in on the wing or at one of the guard positions? Caleb Love. <laughs> that would not be my answer. I was trying to tap into West, West Miller's North Carolina roots. That's true. He does have that connection. <laughs> a Kentucky skinny Chris Livingston announced that he is entering the NBA draft. He's Good going luck, to kid. maintain his eligibility, but it doesn't sound like anybody expects him to return. Good Surprised luck. Surprised by that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, wh- where does he fit in the NBA? Where does he play? He can't I mean, shoot it. It's just untapped potential right now. I, I mean, like, I'm not saying he can't be an NBA guy, but I haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't either. I, I think another year for him to maybe even expand his game a little bit at the college level would have helped him immensely. I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a six six four man. I mean, it's what he or uh, no, he's a six six four man. Yeah, and and NBA, I'm sure they're projecting him to be a wing player. Yeah, but and, man, I'm telling you what, if you're a wing and you can't shoot it, and maybe he can and just didn't, but from what I watch, he can't. So he has how do you games. play in the league? Later in the year, we started to score a bit more. But score it, yes. Not a knockdown he, shooter because he attacked the rim. Yeah, yeah. He's not a not a knockdown shooter. He's going to have to improve that part of his game. There's no question. I'm I'm curious to see where he goes in the draft. I am too because he'll you. get drafted. But yes, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he might be a second rounder. Oh, I think yeah. I wouldn't spend a first round pick on him. Yeah, and then Yugana on Yenso. Weird situation. Backup big man didn't play a lot this year. He entered the portal a week ago, but already announced that he is now staying at Kentucky. It sounds like his uncle, who is his guardian, decided that he needed to enter the portal, wanted to seek other opportunities, and the kid had no interest in it. And they fought about that for a week, and now he's back at UK. I I mean, look, the kid looks like he has a world of potential. He has like a seven, six wingspan or something. I, I think you want this guy if you can get him. So I well, here, you know, here's, here's what I said he could be the best big man in the country next year. Yeah, here's what I wonder, because the Hunter Dickinson thing seemed like it was going to be a real thing for him coming to Kentucky. I wonder if that factored into it and the fact he didn't fade quickly on him. Yeah, it changed his mind. The thing I don't understand is these guys talk about like NIL opportunities and all of that. The kid made six figures at UK last year as a yeah. backup that no one yeah, really no. knew. Good point. What do you think happens when he's actually on the court and playing? So yeah, no, good, great point. And, and not mean, to mention, Kentucky has already figured this thing out because of like Oscar Shibway, how to do the guy on a foreign visa, get him the NIL dollars, you got a country, all that type of stuff. They figured that out with Shibway. That's not just like an easy thing to accomplish. A lot of people are are thinking it is, but 
this is like a, a real concern with these working visas. It's not an NCAA thing. It's the government. Like you have right, to right. You have to do this properly. Or these guys might get sent back, like get their visa taken away and sent back overseas. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that like Kentucky has that already in place for him. They know how to do it. And he's going to make six figures again next year. It's a pretty good deal for a kid who was God knows where a year ago. No, that's right. No. Yeah. Fair point. I I, I do wonder aloud and I just wondered it aloud if, if the whole Dickinson thing factored into that. Both ways. Maybe. Sounds like he might be going because, to because, because they got they got a seven footer coming in, you know, a five star seven footer coming in already. So there's there's one big ad in the mix. Dickinson would be a second big ad in the mix. Then you start counting numbers. You're like, I'm not getting on the floor here. Well, now I'm getting on the floor here. And, in and all Cal, likelihood. And Cal talks about him like he's going to play a lot now. You know, Cal, right. Cal's always pumping sunshine. Cal, Cal talks a lot. Cal talks a lot. Of, yeah. Cal talks a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. And then finally, NKU, it's been pretty quiet on the NKU side of things since all of those guys entered the portal. The only one that really was in line to get playing time next year was the backup big man, Emmanuel Zorgval. We've talked about that on previous episodes, but the Norse do have two visitors coming in this weekend. They have Green Bay big man Cade Meyer visiting and also a division two point guard, a potential replacement for Xavier Rhodes that they're looking at. So we'll see how that goes, but it, it, it's a. Uh, getting down to the nitty gritty for a lot of these guys, because you have one more month left to enter the transfer portal, right? You're going to see a little bit more movement, but for the most part, the guys that are in the portal now are kind of the guys that are going to be there. You're not going to see a ton of new options come out in the, in the next few weeks. There'll be some that continue to trickle in, but a lot of the, the action has taken place in terms of guys leaving their, their former school. And now they're looking for a place to land. So we're going to start to see some more decisions be made across the board here with all of these schools. And, and NKU is certainly one that's got some replacing to do here in the next few weeks. All right, let's get to the NBA, Skinny. The NBA playoffs start on Saturday. The play-in games already got underway over the last few nights. We don't. So here's the question for you real quickly. Hang on. Are, are the play-in games the playoffs or no? I mean, I, I guess they are. <laughs> okay. It's just not like the real, you know, the playoff bracket hasn't gotten underway gotcha. yet. The real gotcha. playoff to me. Gotcha. Uh, we yeah. don't really talk about the NBA on this show because of our geographical location in this beautiful country, but we do love the NBA playoffs and it's a great time for betting. So we always like to take a look at the futures odds on this show before the playoffs start. Skinny, are there any odds you like for the teams to win the NBA championship? I can I can run down the top yes. three in each conference if you'd like to start here. Yeah, let's do that. Do that. Okay. So in the East, you've got the one seed bus. I've got a team. I, I've got a I've got a team. Hang on, I've got a team in mind. Um, but I'm going to guess because they're not seated where you think they should be seated. But I'm going to guess their odds are not going to be what I like. So uh, my guess away. is that the, that's the case, too, especially if you were talking about the Western Conference side of things, because the odds get wacky. That's exactly what I'm talking about. All yes. Right. Yes. Well, the one seated Bucks in the Eastern Conference are plus 265 to win it all. The second seated Celtics are yeah, plus 310. I, yeah. And the third seated Sixers yeah. are plus 950. If you go over to the Western Conference, though, the favorite in the Western Conference is the fourth seated Suns at plus 425. Of course, yeah, they've added Kevin Durant. There, or a very there was my team. team. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There, there was there was my team, by the way. So, yeah, here's the best part. The second the, the second best odds is the sixth seed Golden State Golden State Warriors at plus 950. Correct. I, I, I did not know that. I did not know that, but I did know that. Trust me. And then the third best odds in the Western Conference are the one seed, the Nuggets, at plus 1,100. That's 11 to 1 odds to take the best team all year in the Western Conference as the team to win the NBA Finals. 
I do like those odds, but I think the, the issue is they're going to have to go through Phoenix and maybe Golden State on top of it to win the West. To me, the West is wide open. But the, the thing about it is, is you could take the one, the two, the three, and the four seed all for like 10 bucks and have huge odds and own the top yeah, four teams right. in the Western Conference and, and have a chance of getting right. at least one of them through, you would think. I mean, when you look at the opening round series, aside from Denver, Minnesota, which shouldn't be very good at all, Suns Clippers, Kings Warriors, and Grizzlies Lakers all have the potential to be great opening round series. No, it's funny when the, when the Clippers last week beat the Lakers, the, the storyline that came out of it was, was, uh-oh, that was not a very good win for the Clippers. It's going to benefit the Lakers. And, and they're right because the Clippers have to play Phoenix because of the win. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, look, at the top half, you've got Denver, Minnesota, Phoenix, L.A. The bottom half, you have Sacramento, Golden State, Memphis, L.A. Lakers, of course. The first L.A. Yes. was the Clippers. Yes. Um, yep. When you look at that, I think my strategy might just be to grab like three of the teams on one half. Of yeah, the no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that's a, that's probably a good strategy because um, you're guaranteed getting one of them to the conference final. And then you're now two steps away from winning. So, yeah. And then I mean, honestly, well, if you want to hedge it, I'll take, I'll take Philly at nine and a half to one from the other side. Hope they get to the finals. It's not I, out I, of the realm. Yeah. I don't think that's a bad call at all. I mean, in the Eastern conference, You've got Milwaukee, Miami, which should be an easy Milwaukee win. Well, the thing is, here's the thing. The thing, yeah, the thing is, Rick, you, you when you do this, you got to make a case for the. I can only make a case for the top three in the East to to to, to win the East. I mean, Correct. maybe somebody sneaks. I don't. I just don't see it. No, because like the four or five game is Cleveland, New York, and that might be a great series, but I don't think right. anyone's going to care because they it's going to be a fun series. Yes, they expect the Bucks to blow them out in the second round. Whoever comes out, whether yes. it's Cleveland or New York. So, like, I don't think that either of those teams really matter much. I mean, we could be surprised, but they I don't think they matter much. And then you've got Philly, Brooklyn, which should be a really good opening series as well, I think. And no, Boston, I Atlanta, I think, I think Boston should I think, cruise. I think I think Philly's going to cruise, too, to be well, and frank. They very well may. But then you have so then that would have Philly, Boston in the bottom half of the East and Milwaukee versus either Cleveland or New York, which Milwaukee will cruise. So you've got Milwaukee in the conference finals and then. Who do you like, Philly or Boston? I think that's probably a toss-up. You could go either way on that. Yeah, I just don't like the odds of. I don't like the odds of. No, I mean honestly, if you said who do I think is going to win it all, I would maybe make a case for Milwaukee or Boston, but I don't like them at those odds. No, I, I'm I'm agreeing with you. Is my point. I think I like Milwaukee is almost a guarantee in my opinion to be in that Eastern Conference yeah. Finals. So you're basically choosing who do I like more, Philly or Boston? And and Philly's odd. Like to me, Philly Boston is kind of a toss up series, and Philly has much better odds. Yes. So I'm with you. I'd roll Philly. And then, like I said, the bottom the bottom part of the bracket. Uh, who is your favorite to win the Western Conference? I, I, I guess you said the Suns. Yeah, I, I, and that's that's where I, I before we started when you started doing the odds, I I knew they were going to be the favorite in my I didn't know I I had not seen I literally had not seen it, but I'm like they're going to be the favorite. Um, so yeah, I yes to answer your question, if yeah if I had to pick a team, I would pick the Suns. I mean, and here's the thing about that though, they are eight and zero with Kevin Durant, and they've looked great when he's been there, but they've only played eight games together healthy as this new unit that they are. I I'm not big on buying into even the super teams, even when they add a superstar like this, and it seems like they have an overwhelming amount of talent. I'm not big on the teams that don't have the chemistry and haven't done it yet together. No, I the, think a lot of times the, they the, need that first the, year. Yeah, I'm, I'm plunking some money on Golden State, too, just because they've been there, done that. I mean, it's crazy. The odds that you can get Golden State 
or or the ones. I mean, Denver is a legit team with an MVP on their roster. They, they are legit. The fact that you can get them at eleven to one odds is, I, I think I have to do that. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think you have to do it. I just I just fear that they've not done that. I mean, you know, I, I, I get it. But it's not like they haven't been in the you haven't the last guys couple guys that have done it. Right? No. Right. They've had a oh, chance. Dude, I had them, what was it last year? Before I, I had them as a future book bet to win it. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem like a team to me. Like this year becomes kind of the year where it's either okay, they they finally figured out, they got through, they had their lumps, and they it hardened them, and they, they figured it out. Or you have to question: Is this roster just not made to make a playoff run? Is there something right. inherently wrong? No, with that's right. The combination right. of Joker and Jamal Murray and those guys, uh, and you have to you have to blow that up. But like. To me, in a lot of ways, this is the year for Denver. And it's like as good as Phoenix is talent wise. And, and again, eight no with Durant. I understand all of that. But it's not out of the realm possibility that they slip up and lose to the Clippers in the first round who have also added players. Yeah, I just the one thing about Durant, though, is to again, been there, done that. And I know he's been there, done that thanks to Steph and and, and those guys. But he's been there, done that. Been there, done that. But also now, one pretty combustible not, in locker what, rooms. One guy who's not what. We, yeah, one guy who's not done that, though, is the point guard. Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean, right or wrong. That's right. That's right. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you have any other betting strategies you want to throw out there for these futures? Or is that? No, pretty, I think I, I think I'm on the same page. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think I'm on the same page as you with that. I think I'd take I'd take three teams from the West. Um, I think I probably would take. See, I don't even think I'd take Phoenix in the odds, though. I, I, I wouldn't either. It's plus 425. I think you take everybody else. You take Nuggets at plus yes. one hundred. Maybe no, I the might Grizzlies even take the Lakers. No, I, maybe the the Lakers odds are uh, Lakers odds are sixteen to one with a guy named LeBron. Yeah, on the I, team. I may have to take. Yeah, I, and and they're back to being kind of healthy, right? Skinny, here's the thing, and I don't think the Kings have any chance to win this, but they are the I three seed. Either. They are the three seed, and they are a fairly talented team. Do you know what their odds are as the three seed? Oh, I bet you. I'll bet you 25 to one. Try 80 to one. Oh, my Lord. Three seed. All right, I'm slipping a five spot on that. That's what, oh, if you go Nuggets at 11 to one, Grizzlies at 20 to one and Kings at 80 to one, you've got the top three seeds in the West at all crazy odds. That's that's crazy. And then take I'll take Philly on the other side just to maybe hedge it and hopefully have two of those, you know, have have a worst case scenario of a nine and a half to one to win it all as, as the long shot in my or as the uh, short shot in my championship series yeah i mean hell at that point when you've that's already nuts. if, if you've already got denver memphis and and sacramento why not add in like the lakers into that i mean they're 16 to 1 too like you're putting so yeah right they're all such big odds why not take four of them at that point if you don't take any of the favorites no you're right all right there you go that's our our betting segment for today that's our nba talk we'll try not to bore you with too much nba stuff but we enjoy this time of the year in the nba so all right ask skinny anything we'll start off with some sports related questions skinny what is the most uncomfortable question you can recall asking and or what is the most uncomfortable situation you recall being in as a reporter? It was when I was a young college reporter. Um, I was working for the Kentucky. Oh, actually, actually I was doing uh, I was doing radio uh, for the UK student station. And because of that, I was allowed to go to the weekly press luncheons um, at the time with Jerry Claiborne, the football coach and Joe B. Hall, the basketball coach. And this was 1980. 384. So this was the oh, take back this 8485. I'm sorry. And um somehow James Blackman wasn't playing very much. Um and 
I decided I was going to get up the curtain. It was weird because back then <clears throat> it was a luncheon. And so the, we all sat around this big wooden table and Joe B. Hall would be at the end of it. And then we'd kind of be around the, the, the outside of it. Right. Um, no podium, no presser as it is today. This was kind of an informal thing. But then after the lunch, you'd ask some questions. So I don't even know. I, I wasn't even going to use this answer. I just wanted to know for my own sake. And I just simply asked, I said, um, do you think that, that James's lack of playing time is hindering uh, his development? And he scoffed and gave me some just crappy answer and said, ah, that, that's a stupid question. And so, you know, you can imagine what that's like, right? You got yeah, all these guys around you. My, my, my heart's about to come through my chest. I'm sweating. And God love Jerry Tipton, who was sitting right next to me, who I became friends with later on because we were both on the Kentucky beat. And Jerry, after the, the thing subsided, he goes, well, is it? <laughs> and he answered Jerry in a way that you could tell he didn't want to answer my question because it's like, I'm going to dismiss little reporter guy. But when Jerry followed up and Joe tried to stammer his way through, it, I thought, hey, I guess that was a pretty good question after all. Now, Jerry never, I was waiting, I was hoping I'd get a slap on the back of, hey, kid, it's okay. I didn't get that, but I thought, okay, he followed up with that. I'm, I'm okay with this, but for a second, dude, I, I just, I could have crawled under that table and maybe quit the business. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any like, really uncomfortable questions that I remember having to ask, but a similar situation like that for me when I was first doing the high school stuff, and this is before I was even with the Enquirer, I was doing like my own independence, like NKY sports blog, I called it. And I went to interview Nell Fuchs after the uh, 34th district women's high school semifinal. 33rd. 33rd district. Yeah. Excuse me. And um, she, they had just beaten Connor or something like that. And they were going to play Sydney Moss and Ryle. This year, Sydney Moss, Sydney Moss was at Ryle at the time. And she was not. Yeah, because she, she eventually went to Boone County. But yes, she did start at Ryle. I take that back. She was with Boone County and they were going to play Ryle right. in the finals, which is and, where she came from. Yes. yes. And so I, I asked something about her facing her old team or like, you know, the emotions of that or whatever. It was just the obvious question that anyone would ask when everyone's talking about, hey, this girl transferred. She's the star player they, they obviously want to beat her. Right. And I mean, Nell just lost it on me about how, you know, it's not Sydney Moss versus Ryle. It's Boone County versus Ryle da, 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 like just undressed me for asking such a bad question and and focusing on the wrong things. And of course, it's what anyone would have asked. And it was like a totally reasonable question. And she was just trying to get her team to focus on other things, yes. whatever. Yes. Do the coach yes. coach thing. But at that point, when you're, you know, 20 years old, it, you don't really quite understand that as well. And you're like, yes. oh, Jesus Christ, I hate this lady. But <laughs> she, actually, she's terrific. She turned so. out to be great. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, but no, she, I, but I, I mean, she's intimidating when you're young. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, there's there, my ass. Uh, yeah, no question. Yeah. I, I've got one other one that wasn't awkward, but I've always found I've, I've brought it up on the podcast before. But for those who haven't heard this, I, I still find this one of the most interesting things I've ever done. So. The year that Kenyon Martin broke his leg when UC was going to be the number one seed, was going to be a number one seed in the country. They lost that number one seed because of that. And Michigan State was the beneficiary. And so I was covering Kentucky, but they were playing up in Cleveland in the first two rounds of the tournament that year. And Michigan State happened to be up there. And my boss said, I hate to pile more work on you. He goes, you know, can you write like a 15 inch story? Just get some reaction from Michigan State about, you know, kind of being the beneficiary of this. Right. But OK, sure. Well, that was the year I've told the story where when I was I was gambling a little bit and I was gambling through a bookmaker and I called him one night to make a play and I was going to make a play on Michigan State, right? State. And he goes, man, that's off the board. It's weird. He goes, that that line's gone kooky. I go like, what do you mean? Kooky? It's like, like an injury. He goes, no. He goes, 
a couple guys I've talked to, I guess guys he laid off with or whatever said, he goes, he goes, I'm wondering if there's a fix. I go, come on. He goes, well, it's off the board. I said, okay, yeah, no problem. Blah, blah, blah. So I asked the Michigan state players, you know, coming from that right state loss, because they lost out right to right state. They're like a 20 something point favorite, which then makes it even weirder. Right. Right. The, the fix was in and you messed it up even worse than you could have messed it up. I, I asked the guys, I said, um, you know, do you feel like you kind of got to you know, the, the fact of where you came from after those lost to right state to, to this point? Did you think that was even going to be possible? And they started giggling. The three players like <laughs> the lost to right state, like like we like we caused the loss to right state. Man. Yeah, like, it was just the weirdest response. It wasn't uncomfortable, but I just found it weird because of what I thought I knew. I mean, it had to be had to yeah. be. It was, it was weird. The, I'll, I'll give you one more quick one. I think I might have even been filling in for you at the end choir when this happened, but I happened to do Bengals uh, training camp for a day. And they were doing like, it was like one of the first days that they were actually going contact and did the Oklahoma drill. Yep. And so we're all there around Marvin. I, I just asked something stupid and benign, like, uh, did, you know, did anybody stand out during the Oklahoma drill today with, with all the contact going on? And he looked at me gave like a half smile in a smart ass way. And it's like, yeah, but we're not telling you that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Just so Marvin, just so Marvin to a T so Marvin. So um, when Orlando Brown came into town um, and we met with him a couple of weeks ago, uh, I can't remember how the question came up about something about the combine. Cause he had a terrible combine. If you remember, it's why he dropped in the draft and some questions were asked about that. And he said, you know, my worst thing at the combine was the interview with the Bengals. He said, you know, Marvin asked me the capital of of Spain, and I said Portugal. And he goes, and I felt so stupid. So, you know, we transcribe as a group, we transcribe, we split up all the transcription from press conference stuff, you know, stuff you get by yourself in a locker, you're not sharing, but, you know, stuff in a press conference, we're all there. It just saves everybody time. So I dole it out. So Ben Baby was not there, but he saw the transcripts. And so Ben tweets out exactly what Orlando Brown said. Marvin, I don't know if you saw Marvin clap back at him and said, get your facts straight. And I, I called really? Ben. I said, what is he talking about? That's literally what the kid said verbatim. He goes, man, I was scared for me. I thought maybe I misread. It. I go, no, literally, that's exactly the, the, the answer you saw that we sent out on the transcript sheet that you saw is the answer he gave. Now, maybe he doesn't remember it the right way, but that was the answer. But Marvin clapped back at him for it. I went, come on, man. Uh, it sounds like you should be clapping back at the kid. Dot, yeah, right. Right. Order. I mean, yeah, get your facts straight. Um, Well, maybe the strange. kid needs to get his facts straight. I don't know. What if what if uh, the kids just like confusing Marvin Lewis with like Todd Bowles or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. great. Uh, Skitty, what is a sports related fashion trend that you'd like to see make a return? Man, that's a good hang on. Oh, I, for sure. Everybody should wear high stirrups in baseball. I like that. I mean, dude, just back high in socks day, in general. Yeah. Back, back in my day, uh, that's here I go. I'm going to back in my day, right? Back in my day, you'd cut the stirrups out at the bottom and you'd add an elastic band to it, sew it in, and you could make the stirrups as high as possible. <laughs> I like high stirrups. Yeah, I, I, I like the high stirrups look, and I, in general, like the high pants, like the high pants hiked up look better than this now, like pulling them down below your yes. cleats. Well, almost to the, almost to the shoe line. Almost yeah. right to the shoe line. Well, that, that and they've stopped doing that, I guess, but for a while, it was like guys are getting the really long baggy pants and they'd put them underneath the first two cleats on the back of their thing. So it would like stick underneath there. That's just yes. like, it looks so dumb. Yeah. No, the, the, the reds fashion trend of the seventies with where everybody had the very low stirrup. I always thought the low stirrup either. 
Honestly, I'd rather have you pull your pants all the way down than the low stirrup look. The low, low stirrup look just is terrible. You know what I miss is neck rolls in football. I do like good neck roll. Yeah. I always like the wide receiver that would occasionally wear. It usually was this, like the center or the middle linebacker. Yeah, it's usually linebackers, yeah. Yeah, but I always liked either the safety or the wide receiver that had. It's like, man, that's a tough guy. He must not be feeling good, but he's wearing the neck roll as a receiver. Double I O, think- Ken Burrow. And it was, there were two double O. Actually, I take back, it was 82 Ken Burrow. There were two Ken Burrows back in my day. Ken Burrow that played for the Oilers. Ken Burrow, spelled it differently, B-U-R-R-O-W, who played for the Atlanta Falcons. Ken Ken Burrow for the Falcons always wore the neck roll as a wide receiver. And I don't know why I always thought that was cool, but I thought that was cool. Uh, I think they went away with fullbacks. Like once Mike Allstott was done playing, they're like, we're done with neck rolls. Yeah, neck rolls are gone. Neck yeah. rolls are gone. Skinny, best high school and college performance you've ever seen live any sport? Uh, the, I mean, watching OJ Mayo in high school was absurd. Yep. I, I think I've told this story before. It's still the greatest single move I've ever watched a kid make in person. Um, so a buddy of mine, the guy I went to the Masters with and I, we decided the year that their senior year at, at North College here or whatever that one year was, I guess they say, say the whole time. So I guess it was their senior year. We wanted to see them play against three different level opponents. And we saw them play Oak Hill Academy that year at, uh, at then Riverfront Coliseum. Remember, we saw him play a medium opponent. Then we wanted to go see him play somebody bad. So we went and watched him play St. Bernard at St. Bernard. And OJ Mayo, I still can't believe, and, and I, you need to picture this in your mind. I know those that have played are going to understand this. If, if you just watch games on TV and you think, oh, the lane's not very wide. The lane's wide, right? The lane's pretty damn wide. Old boy took off short of the left block, came out under the rim on the other side, dunked it, and landed on the other side outside the other block. Go just jump that without trying to dunk one time. Try to jump from one block all the way across the other block. Good luck to you. And he did it in a a high school game. Yes, he did it with a dunk. No, probably the most the the single best performance I think I ever saw was uh, was Chris Harrison of Tolesboro, who ended up playing at Kentucky. I was working in Maysville. I missed his seventy three point game that year against Augusta, uh, but he played Mason County in the tournament. I think it was the district tournament. Tolesboro is no longer got swallowed up by Lewis County. But Chris Harrison scored 54 points, I think it was. And the, the coach of Mason County is the legendary Allen Feldhouse, the late legendary Allen Feldhouse, um, who was one of my favorite coaches to ever cover. I just, he just, I just love that man. He was so nice to me when I, he could have been the most. He, six, five, gravelly voiced, just in kind of one of those, like you talked about with Nelfu, just intimidating, right? That the first time I talked to him, I was scared to death. And then we became friends and um, he was just great to me. But I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a coach do this. So it was a back and forth game, despite what Chris was doing. I mean, Chris was kind of a one man band. Um, he had a couple other nice little players with him, but there was a small school. I mean, Tolesburg was tiny. Um, but Allen Feldhouse literally in the fourth quarter decided, I, I'm not letting this kid beat me. He guarded him literally with two guys. I mean, literally with two guys from baseline to baseline. And Chris still scored 18 points in the fourth quarter. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, I, I had an OJ Mayo story from when he was at North College Hill, and they played Highlands over at, I believe it was NKU over in Regents, and incredible. Um, the other stories that I always like is is when you tell us the Jared Lorenzen stories, uh, some of the things he would do. I, I know it may not be one individual performance, but no, just some I, the, of the, the physical things the, he was the, able to do with no, his arm were incredible. The one individual play he did in high school um, – we were actually Tom Gamble and I were broadcasting the Northern Kentucky all-star game one year and, and Jared was the quarterback and it was a shotgun snap that went all the way over his head, 
went back towards the end zone. By the time Jared scooped it up, he was back in the end zone. Now he was rolling to his strong side. He was rolling to his left and Jared was left-handed. He got to about the pylon in the end zone, the front pylon. So I'm not going to exaggerate to the back pylon, but the front pylon, front left pylon, threw it across the field to the other sideline to the other 45-yard line. That's like legitimately an 80-yard throw. Yes, legitimately an 80-yard throw. (laughs) Most ridiculous thing I've seen. On the yeah, just crazy. I'm trying to, you know, you know, college performance-wise, Rick, and I'm probably going to miss one off the top of my head, but I'll be quite frank. The the year that Trayvon Blewett shot the way he shot in in the in the crosstown showdown was the most one of the most ridiculous things I've seen in person. And they lost that game. And they lost that game. He scored 40, and they lost in the shootout at UC. But just the fact, just the range of shots he made in that game, and it was all in the first half mostly. Yes, the first half was insane, insane, insane. And they have got. Maybe that, I got recency bias, but but for me, I, maybe that's one for you too. Now that I brought it up, but I mean that that's still to me. I think about that all the time. Of golly, did he make some shots that night? In terms of a half, yes. And you know what it reminds me of when I think about it? It always reminds me of that Jody Meeks game against Tennessee when he. Nah, that was a great one, but I didn't see that something. one in person. I was not yeah. there for that one in person. No, um, I will say, obviously. I will say one in person that I did see that was pretty fa- fascinating. You may remember this once I say it. I was covering UK. It was the early two thousands, and they were playing North Carolina in Rupp. And Tayshawn Prince came down first, first trip, made a three. Next trip, made a three a couple steps further out. Next trip, made another three from another couple steps further out. And then he got a rebound on the next set. And the guy next to me, I said, he's pulling from the logo, bro. And he comes across midcourt, stops the logo, lets her fly, splash. And he turned around. I remember to the CBS broadcast crew, you get probably on YouTube, this clip. And he just gives him this like shrug, like, I can't believe I just did that. Jordan shrug. Yep. All right, the, our technology guy is asking again. Start, bench, cut. Yep. Chat GPT, Bitcoin, NFTs. Ooh, boy. Uh, There's three I, cuts I, for you. I, I'm, I'm cutting Chat GPT right off the bat. I'm okay. cutting. You I'm don't like cutting. the robots. I don't want about. any of that. I, I'm telling you, we're, we're going to doom ourselves if we just don't stop. I'm serious. We're going to doom ourselves if we. I, what, why are we doing this? What is the point of it? <laughs> Man, optimization, I'm going, baby. I'm going to bench Bitcoin and start NFTs, and I don't like any of them, as we know. Yeah, those are you should have played the cut, cut, cut game, sir. Well, that would have been better for Skinny. Uh, does Skinny have any good baby name recommendations or any names that he doesn't like? I don't know if this is for me or if our uh, listener here is thinking about having another one. You know, I, I don't think you can go wrong. I mean, I, I'll be honest, my wife was a huge gone with the wind fan. Hence we have Katie Scarlett and Tara Lynn. I didn't really have much choice in those <laughs> for some reason. Don't ask me why, if it had been a boy, this was in the Travis Ford era. We were going to name him Travis. Um, I probably would have regretted that. And the poor kid probably would have regretted that to this day. <laughs> Not that there's anything named wrong with after Travis. the guy who failed out of Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of, children boys in kentucky that were born in the late 70s early 80s who have a first name of kyle after kyle macy right i'm going to bet that's the case no it's pronounced kyle yeah i mean like like bertha and gertrude and those kind of names for don't 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 label them with that don't 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 do that you just you know the names you're like oh poor you i mean like honestly you know i love my father i'm a junior as i mentioned but how many Dick Skinner jokes do I get all the time? I get them all the time. Huh? Okay, I get it. No. Dick Skinner. I'm Richard Skinner. I get it. I'm 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 okay with it. And, and if it, you know, in retrospect, if I could go back to my father, and go, did they not 
say that to you back in your day or no? Maybe not. Maybe you grew up in a more a more sane time frame for all I know. So yeah, I I, I don't. Yeah, I, if it's a girl, just let's not go the let's not go the Bertha Gertrude route. And I don't know. I I use Fred as a generic nickname for everybody, just because it's just an easy one. That like Fred's a generic. In fact, I call Tom Gamble and I call each other literally. What's up, Fred? I don't know why we do that, but we're all. Fred. I don't know why you guys do that either. But it's but I've known that since before I knew either one of you personally. I knew that's what you did. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know why we do that, but we do. So I, I'd say don't name him Fred. And I know I, a couple of friends. I will not name my kid Fred. That you have my word on that. I, okay. We are both Richards, obviously. So yes. uh, that we've understand the the perils of having. I was saying, how, how long did you go with Richard, and, and were you always a Rick? I was never a Richard. I was my dad. I'm a junior too. Um, my dad was always Rick, so I was Ricky as a kid. Yeah, see, I was Richie as a kid, and I still have some high school friends that if I, you know, that I haven't seen in a while, that maybe I see, I've seen them, you cross paths in a bar or whatever, or something. Like, hey, Richie. Yeah, I haven't been Richie in a long time, but okay. Yeah, well, that that was for me. It was like when I hit like high school, I started changing over to Rick. So it was like the only people is like the people that I haven't seen since grade school that'll still occasionally drop a, a Ricky in there, and it's like, oh. And wow. I will say, some people that don't know, like somebody from the outside that will say that no see my name or whatever go yeah rick i want to ask you i'm like no no no, man i'm not rick if i was rick i'd call myself rick i don't have anything <laughs> against rick but if that's not what i call myself so right right well uh my wife and I, we were driving to vacation a, like a year ago we were talking about names and i met I, I was listening to a podcast at the time and i mentioned that i was like a weird name for guys that i kind of like is pain like p-a-y-n-e yep um, I just think it's like a, it's a good name. Plus I, I like the idea of like, you know, making shirts that say bring the pain or something. If my kid's like a, a fullback, I don't know. I like it. Um, but then, so I, I, my mind's turning and, you know, you think of the whole like naming your kid after you thing, which I don't really like the idea of doing, but my wife had talked about it occasionally. So I was like, you know, if we named our kid Richard Payne, he would get dick pain jokes all the time. Yes, and that seems correct. like a bad move. Yeah. So. That's, that's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, I need a skinny slobs versus snob story where skinny got one over on some stuffed shirt or other pompous type. <laughs> wow. This is our, from our, from our guy, Dan, as you might've. I know. Yeah. Dan, the, Dan uh, likes, Dan likes the obscure ones that I have to really think hard about. Yeah. Um, he, he really likes stories where you exert yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure I've got, well, I, I can't think of one. I've gotten one over on somebody that's been, been a, usually if somebody's going to be a snob to me, I just, give you an F you and walk on, man. I, I don't, I can't think I, one will pop to me probably this week, but off the top of my head, I, I'm, I'm not sure I can do that. You have one. No, I, that's a tough one on the spot. Yeah. That is a, that, I love his questions. He's the best. Um, yeah. I, I can't, I can't think of one. I really can't. Well, if it comes to you, we'll bring yeah. it up on next week's show. How about that? Yeah. I'm trying to think, in settings that I've been in where somebody would try to be that guy. I, I, I don't know that I've been in that setting. Huh. We've, got a, we've got another tough one to answer to. This is the last one I have on the list and right. it's, it's a great question, but it is tough to answer too. What's the most absurd thing you or someone, you know, has ever done to save money to save money. Yeah. Like what's a broke move you or someone, you know, have done. Um, in college, I'll be honest with you, when you'd go to like the, the Mr. Gaddy's all you can eat buffet, I would take a plastic bag and stuff stuff in it for later in the week. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's yeah. no, no. Yeah. 
I would also eat my fill. Don't get me wrong. It was an all you can eat Mr. Gaddy's, mind you, for like $3.99. And back in college, man, that was that was kind of clutch for sure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not listen, I'm not a lavish spender, but I'm also not a skin flint on stuff either. So I'm I yeah, I, I don't think I had that other than I can go back to my college days when I was scraping by. Um yeah, I don't have one. Yeah, my dad was a super cheap guy, but I don't I can't think of any like great stories. Now, the funny thing about my dad is he was super cheap, but also super bad about like fixing things when it came to things going wrong with the house, what have you. So like my dad would tell us we'd go out to eat as a family. It's like you can't get a, a drink while we're out to eat like a soft drink or something. You got to get water to save money, right? Because he's, he's cheap. It. He's saving saving the dollar 20 at the time or whatever it was. And then we'd go home and we'd have a leak. One of our faucets would be leaking for three months. We'd have like an $800 water bill every month. And he's just paying it instead of it getting fixed. But he's worried about us by getting a soft drink out to lunch at that day. Right. But, you know, so we'd throw that back. So I was like, dad, uh, so worried about money. You going to fix that leak today or what? That's that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's that, that's actually pretty good. No, I like I said, I, I'm not a lavish spender. I don't you know, I'm not a clothes hound. I'm not a. I, I don't spend money on concerts. No offense. I rarely spend money to go to a game. Um, I'm not offended. I did, I did blow a bunch of money. I did blow a bunch of money this past weekend, but I had steeled myself for that. So I, I was prepared for that. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm not like scraping the butter that I didn't use off my roll back into the tub to make sure I've got extra butter or thing. I get people that have to do that. Trust me, I do, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I, I, yeah, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of that. I, I, I will tell you, I, I still don't understand at the pump why there's premium. Does anybody pay premium at the pump? I, I assume the people with like Lamborghinis do. Sure. I assume. Because oh, like you're supposed to, I believe, with those types of cars. Okay, like, you, you're supposed well, to get I, that. I, yeah, I guess for me, I don't have to worry about that. I had a no. Nissan and you were supposed to get like the, the mid-level fuel for it. I, I never did, but. I, I will say this. I, I don't know if this would be considered cheap. But I do drive cars until they die for the most part. Like I'll I've only had, I think, four new cars in my lifetime that I've bought. I bought a used car in high school that I used through college. And I bet you I've bought four new cars in my entire lifetime. I literally have a Camry right now. It's still in good shape. It looks great. Um, but it's up to 273,000 miles. And I will wow. drive that car till it dies. I don't need a new car. Was your family cheap growing up? Like was your dad cheap? Um, no, my, my father was a great saver though. I mean, he, he was, it always impressed me because my father was a great saver. Um, I feel fortunate. He paid my way for my sister and I through college, which was wow. very nice. Um, him and him and my mother, uh, now my mom worked too. So they, we had two incomes growing up. Um, but which not a lot of people in that era did, but, um, my father, for whatever reason, he was a great saver, never had any debt. But for whatever reason, that dude always had like a wad of like 300 bucks on him. And I never understood that. And, and so like when I needed 20, I would sneak into his room and take the 20 from him. So he but <laughs> I, I'm sure he knew because I think he counted every night what he had. It was always weird. He always had a wad on him, which I don't I don't know. But he was a great saver. Nice. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of money habits come from not ne- like not necessarily that you follow your parents. But like for me, I am not cheap. But I think a lot of that is influenced by watching my dad. Do certain things. Well, and, I'll, cheap, I'll, so I'm, don't do and I'll be frank, Rick. Um, I, I've got a couple of side hustles and that's usually my spending money for the most part. I'll, I'll throw a little mm-hmm. bit of that towards the household. 
I honestly, I don't do anything with the bills. I don't, I don't, I don't pay them. I don't even know what's coming in and going out. <laughs> I, I don't, and I don't want to know because I, I honestly don't want to know. I just know we're not in debt. So that, that, that part's fine. I just, I don't want to know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Cause I know me, I, I know that my, my money has that regard would be just terrible. I just, here it is. It's direct deposited. You take care of it. You're good with it. I'm good with it. I got my side hustle money. We're good. So let's you are so we are so built to say, let me just go call this basketball game and don't let me don't make me think about anything that actually matters. That's correct. Take that care of correct. all that. And we'll be yep, good. That, that's correct. And I'm <laughs> just the way I'm built. Same. So all right, that's good all I, I wish I could answer Dan's question better. I'm going to have to. I hope one comes to my mind and there probably is one that will come to mind before I forget. But if I do, I will bring it up on next week's podcast. Sounds good. All right. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for being with us. As always, uh, thanks for the questions. As always, those are my favorite part of the podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. <laughs>